0: Welcome to the Filmlings Podcast, a weekly podcast where we analyze all that goes into effective filmmaking. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Alex. And this is week 43, Eastern Eeriness. And we have a very special guest with us today, my sister, Emily Geringer. Welcome. Yeah, welcome to the show, Emily. And uh, for those of you who don't know, which I'm assuming is almost every one of you who isn't. Our parents. Uh, Emily is a film student at the University of Texas at Austin, and you've actually studied our topic today in in uh, in particular, right?
1: Yeah, I've uh, taken a lot of classes about specifically Asian film in general, and I spent a semester studying Asian horror films specifically. So,
0: and correct me if I'm wrong, but you've studied these films. Uh, specifically, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. These are all three that I watched for my um, lecture, and they're all really incredible films. There's a lot to talk about with them, and they're just kind of really good staples for looking at Asian horror in general.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm happy to have you with us today because um, I am not what you would call a horror buff. Or, whatever particular, um, (laughs) or even horror fan, or horror fan in particular. Um, it's just not, it's not my thing. I I appreciate a good horror film when I see it, but I just don't see a lot of them. It's, it's not something you, you, we grow up with a lot of really great horror films. Um, looking at, at the early 2000s when we were growing up, it's not like a lot of them were out right then. Um, uh so except so, yeah. for scary movie yeah and and you know it's such a <laughs> it's such a common thing for uh in the west these days to bebone the fate of the horror movie and what it's become and that's not something we're going to be talking about in particular today because we are going to be talking about a great alternative if you're not into what uh, western horror has become and that is um all these eastern horror films and what films are we talking about today specifically jonathan
2: Yeah, so we're going to kick off uh, with two Japanese films. The first being Audition from 1999, directed by Takashi Miike, question mark. Probably lots of mispronounced names this week. (laughs) Um, And we have uh, a little warning here that eating while watching this movie is not advised. We're going to be talking about three different types of horror films. And this one definitely falls in the... Uh, gore category. Yeah, yeah.
0: I might have eaten a pizza right before I watched this, so um, not good. Don't do that.
1: I watched this with an entire class of people and we were all eating at the time. So
0: Oh my gosh. That sounds like something your professor planned. Like Yeah.
1: <laughs> it, it might have been she she suggest she was like she she was like, Oh bring your snacks to uh to the screening. It'll be great. <laughs> Oh, gosh. really
0: hungry. Yeah, so our second film of the week is also a Japanese film. Uh, Joan The Grudge from 2002, directed by Takashi Shimizu. Um, Warning, do not hide under the covers while watching this film. It is not advised. It will not keep you safe. (laughs) This was remade in 2004 in America, and it was just called The Grudge. Although, just real quick, just because I found it out, free plug of the week Duolingo now has a Japanese language course in beta. So if you're interested in getting your horror on from Japan and being able to do it without subtitles, uh, go to Duolingo. Okay.
2: Uh, But what's the last (laughs) film that your Japanese course will not help you with, Emily?
1: Uh, So the last one that Japanese definitely won't help you with, because it's Korean, is A Tale of Two Sisters. And it was made in 2003 by director, God, I'm going to say this wrong, uh, Jiwon Kim. And the warning on this one is that watching this film with your sister is not advised. Which is a bit ironic, um, because, you know, Alex is here with his sister today, so... Mm -hmm.
0: But but uh, am I real? Are you real?
1: (laughs) As long as I don't die, I think we're fine.
0: Yeah, I think that goes for most things.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. This film was also remade in America in 2009 with the title The Uninvited. Um, And we've actually seen this director before on the podcast when we talked about uh, the good, the bad and the weird. But this film is very, very
0: different. Yeah. Yeah, but it definitely um, if you didn't think of uh, Ji-Woon Kim as a really great genre film director beforehand, you will after you watch uh, those two films in tandem. Yeah, he's got range. Yeah, definitely has range.
2: All right. But let's get back into the Japanese films and uh,
0: take a look at Audition. Alex, set us up. All right. So Audition from 1999. It's kind of a slow burn of a film and it opens with a father and a son and uh, their wife slash mother who has just died. She dies at the start of the film and that's what kicks off the movie. And then seven years later, some large time gap later, is where the rest of the film takes place. And uh, the son's kind of grown up into a promising uh, teenager slash young adult and he's kind of starting to live his life. But the father is kind of mired in... Um, well, well, as they say in the film, as the uh, son says in the film, you seem dispirited. He kind of just seems out of it, um, and kind of dejected with life. And, uh, both his friend and his son kind of suggest like, you should get back out there. You should find, um, a new wife, which seems a bit hasty to me. I think you should start with some light dating, but whatever. Um, yeah, that was interesting that they just kind of totally skipped over that part. Like, don't, don't, don't.
1: Hey, go big or go home. (laughs)
0: <laughs> get married um yeah it reminds me kind of like those old hollywood films where like at the end a guy and a girl who met like two weeks ago get get engaged or get married um like wow that's fast but anyway i I digress uh so his friend who is helping him in his quest to find a new wife very suddenly is a uh works in the movie industry I, i'm not entirely sure what his exact title is, but probably some kind of executive producer. Um, and he decides that he's going to uh, fake an audition for a movie uh, to, to find the ideal woman for his friend. Um, and the friend agrees to this and they kind of hold these auditions um, in, in the way you would expect an audition movie to go. If two terrible people were running a movie audition, <laughs> um, it, which Maybe it wasn't as disturbing for 1999. But like, you know, in my 2017 eyes, it's kind of like, wow, those are things you should never do in auditions. Ever, well, ever, yeah, ever. The ever. other thing is they
2: don't ask any of the women like to act. They just ask them very personal questions. So there mm-hmm. should have been red flags going off for all of these women <laughs> right off the bat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like almost like a. Um, so, you know, what it, it it reminded me of it reminded me of. um to, uh, and, of course, audition is a more extreme sense of, uh, of what's going on here. But in, in La La Land, where uh, at the end, Emma Stone's character is asked to do an audition, and she's just asked to tell a story. Um, and they're like, we're just going to figure it out on, on the fly. We're going to figure out this movie. We're going to improvise it, um, which is kind of like a 60s, 70s style of filmmaking, which is a very artsy way of, of making a film and it kind of reminded me of that but I, the intentions were not nearly as pure um, in Audition and of course towards the end of the audition um, our our main character, our protagonist finds a woman who he um, likes or is, his interest is peaked in he's already read her um, her bio or her application or whatever you want to call it and is, is interested in this woman and kind of singles her out and they start Dating, and it turns out that she is, um, what's the proper term? Um, Buck nuts crazy. Uh, (laughs) She's just, she's messed up. Disturbed. Yeah. I think over the and again, like the story structure that happens in all of these films is a bit time jumpy. Um, it kind of has to. Yeah.
2: I feel like we got Mulholland Drive three times this week.
0: (laughs) A little bit. Yeah, no, we definitely got kind of screwed in the head. Um but on in audition we kind of jump back and forth between what's going on now, what's going on in the past. Um as we get farther and farther in the movie, more dislocated from reality. Um but we we get we see that her past was really messed up, and we see that her present is also really messed up. And it's kind of a story of um uh the abused becomes the abuser. And she's like a sadistic person who it turns out is like some kind of weird serial killer with attachment issues who likes to cut people up into little pieces. Um,
1: Well, I wouldn't say cut. Well, Well, yeah,
0: cut. Well, stab. Well, if you cut something with a piano wire, you are cutting it. It still counts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe. You're right, uh, so
1: you're I right. guess
2: it goes without saying, but we're just going to say that these films, we're going to not worry about spoilers for these films because there's no way to get around it uh, this week. So if you're interested in any of these movies, um, if you are twisted enough to want to watch them fresh, then uh, stop. Stop listening now and go check them out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go hit up Emily's professor and uh, schedule a screening. Yeah. Um, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, you can you can you can uh, watch them on your own in a nice dark room while eating some nice mushy food. That that should be good.
1: It's, it, it's a really for as weird and bizarre as audition was. It was a really great film, and it was really well done. And I think that a lot of that for me, and I'm probably going to sound like a broken record when I say this because I'm going to talk about it with the other ones as well. Um, but I just really like how it plays with time. I think that's one of the things that yeah. these movies all end up doing really well, is how they manipulate time in space to make you feel really unsure about what's coming next. And, yeah, and
2: how it reveals time to the audience, um, because regardless of like how it happened, it's, it's the changing of the way that you presented to the audience is not the way that things actually happened. That makes it interesting
0: for us. Right. Yeah. Cause if you had broken this down into sequential order, it would have been interesting and disturbing, but it wouldn't be nearly as interesting and disturbing.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think what's really incredible is this entire, I, I remember when I was watching it for the first time, we see that there's there's a part where they go to the hotel and he's thinking about proposing to the girl. And as time goes on, you eventually get to this point where he gets knocked out. Um, you know, she's drugged his uh, alcohol and I'm pretty sure she sprays him with the gas as well and he's passing out and then you see him wake up again in the hotel and there's this really weird kind of sequence that ensues that's him you know proposing to her and there's a really weird scene in a restaurant where things are all messed up and kind of creepy and i think that the first time i watched it i remember legitimately thinking that oh no this was all just a dream like none of this is real like he he actually just had a dream where he thought that this chick was about to kill him, and then he wakes up and everything's gonna be cool, things are fine, and then he wakes up again and she's about to cut his foot off and it was a really like impactful moment for me,
0: yeah, 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 and, and
2: I do want to talk about the uh the um Restaurant scene, too, because that is kind of a really important point. So the point that you're talking about here, Emily, is kind of like near the end of the film, towards the climax, when um, she has got our main character in her clutches um, and then he starts having these flashbacks. But the times that we actually see these scenes earlier in the film um, are also quite unsettling just the first time that we see them. So for uh, a specific instance, The first time that they go out to dinner um, and they're having this conversation and nothing like really weird has happened yet. We might have seen one of those uh, phone scenes, which uh, we're Mm going to have to talk about. (laughs) But um, throughout this conversation, there are two things that happen that make us very on edge. One is an excessive use of crossing the 180 degree rule, which we talked about Mm -hmm. for the Kubrick episode with The Shining, um, where he has covered this scene so much from like 10 different angles, like on both sides of the line and cuts between them. Uh, So we have no idea like why he's doing this. Like if you're not paying attention to it, uh, you just like feel that something is off. Um, And if you are paying attention to it, you're like, Why is he crossing the 180 degree line so much? Um, And then the other thing is, at some point, I don't remember what they say or if it even matters, but at some point, just between cuts, everyone in the restaurant is gone and it is just them left. And at that point, the camera stops cutting and we're just looking at them. And actually, I think that uh, our main character is kind of framed behind some glass, whereas the... uh, the, um, girl is not. So there's also a, a kind of framed, uh, separation between them just in the composition. Uh, and yeah, so those two elements put together and then the fact that we throw in another restaurant scene in a different place that we're like, is, is this the same day or not? She's wearing the same clothes, but like yeah. all of these things are going in like without being these really major, uh, buildup, um dread moments but little things to psychologically throw the audience off and like you said Alex this is a very slow burn film so these are the kinds of things that are being peppered in to just put us on edge because the beginning is almost like rom-com territory honestly
1: yeah
0: yeah it really it really kind of is um and it builds up to that climax and it gets it gets more horrifying with each act um and, and I think that that's an important part, uh, a point to, um, to emphasize what you brought up, Jonathan, with how, how you build a disconcerting scene, how you build an unsettling scene um, it, when we talk about horror films um, and using all of the, the tools in your cinematic toolbox to make it horrifying other than just like graphic imagery, which this film does have um it, yeah, it definitely, definitely has but it, in all of the build-up to that you can definitely um clue in your audience and build that sense of dread through everything that isn't the graphic imagery as well to uh where you put your your uh characters in a frame are they isolated are they together are they juxtaposed um to the lighting each time we return to a scene in this film because there's several different flashbacks and Um, things that kind of retread uh, uh, scenes we've already um, already touched not only is it different in the sense that it might be a dream or it might be a reimagining of the scene but it's also lit differently and typically lit more dramatically Um, and you also feel that intensification of the lighting over the course of the film like the opening scene where they have a very diffused light, a very soft light, a very dreamy look um, and then over the about the first act of the film, it's it's a lot more even-toned. Like you said, Jonathan, almost feels like a rom-com. And then as we get more disturbing and more disturbing and more to the graphic, it, the lighting gets darker and it gets more intense and it gets more contrasty and you get more extreme colors that come out. Um, and you get the sense and more than just the visuals you see, but the way the visuals are stylized, that you've left the normal, safe world and you've entered this intense world of horror.
2: But there's another interesting point along with that is that like when you say that you can kind of think of a lot of American horror films and stuff like Saw where it's like very dark and grimy and gritty and like green tones and stuff that's very sickly. But really the climax of this film happens in the protagonist's um, house with a lot of very warm light It's well lit, very warm, like otherwise a very homely kind of cinematic feeling. Uh, except that what we're seeing are horribly uh, gory and graphic (laughs) images. Yeah. So that that contrast is interesting.
0: Yeah, it's weird because a lot of uh, making a good horror film seems to be finding the right contrast and timing between normal elements and the extremely horrifying elements. And if you can juxtapose them correctly, you can create a lot of surprise and shock and horror and disgust. Um, But if you don't, it just falls flat and it seems funny. So, uh, like, you're right, when they, in in the climactic scene where he's finally having his foot cut off by Crazy Lady um, and they're in, like, their nice, warm, uh, normal um, world, it's kind of like a reminder almost that, yes, this is real, this is happening. Because we've just gone through all of the um, uh, mind-bending of the flashbacks and the dream sequences and all that stuff, so it's kind of... Um, it's almost driving the nail in that. Yes, this horrifying thing is really happening to our protagonist. Um, and, and it isn't going to be a dream sequence that he just wakes up from. Um, he's going to have to deal with the fact that he has only one foot for the rest of his life. Um, a tale of one foot, if you will. And maybe no vision. Cause I don't even know what that would do to a person. Oh gosh. I have no idea. I don't know how eyeballs heal.
1: I'll be honest, I think it's fine because it went into the area underneath his eyes, not into the eyes themselves.
0: Oh what well, they were stem. in his
2: eyeballs.
1: No, 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 no. They're not in his eyeballs. It's into the like like um well, I don't feel like I need to I feel like it's a little unnecessary to go into the description
2: <laughs> of yeah, the human anatomy you and how totally this clear to
1: work. this up. But the point is that like, I, I don't know if you ever noticed, but if you, like, lightly hit the area just under your eyes, like, where the bone is, it's really painful to do that. And so she, like, shoves it into that area and, like, under his eye. It's not in his oh, eye. Okay. Oh, well,
2: gosh. it's good to know that he will
0: at least be able to see after this in ordeal. He'll be <laughs> able
1: to see Seen foot. it's fine.
0: Yeah, let's talk about our protagonist, because... Um, this film actually has a really strong protagonist and not in the sense that he is um, really physically strong or smart um, because he's neither um, <laughs> <laughs> almost almost it's almost like required to have uh, an unwitting or not so smart protagonist or at least an ignorant protagonist and a protagonist who isn't in the know in a horror film. Um, but he he is like a really complex, um, character who is who has gone through a loss at the start of the film and is dealing with a lot of sadness and loneliness, which is almost like loneliness is almost the theme of the film. Um,
2: oh, it's definitely a theme. There did, are several
0: yeah. times where a characters like
2: uh, I, I feel like uh, there are no women left. Uh, I'm, everyone's so lonely. it's Like all the Japanese are lonely. And as soon as he said that, I was like, "Okay,
0: well, that's kind of a theme, <laughs> theme. statement
2: for this movie."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's your theme. If you're wondering where it was, there it is. Um, yeah, and and he deals with that over the course of the film. And of course, there are the horrifying elements. Um, but you know, it's it's a film about loneliness that happens to be horrifying. Like even when the before the auditions even start, when his friend is explaining the audition process to him, um, he says. Uh, that you want a girl who isn't going to make it to, uh, to who isn't going to get the part because the girl who gets the part is going to be unhappy because unhappy people make good actors and you want a girl who's happy and he does the exact opposite of that and goes for an unhappy girl he even says that like you're unhappy and you get the unhappiness and like, like I do so I think that'll work and that turns out to be a horrible idea but the antagonist of the film is uh not just paired up with our protagonist and that they have opposing goals or that they're going to fight But that they deal with the same theme. They're both dealing with a certain amount of loneliness. And one of them is trying to deal with with it in a loving way. And one of them is trying to deal with it with a psychotic, possessive, controlling, cutting people up into little bits kind of way. Um, And, of course, when you put those together in a film, you're going to get great conflict. And since that conflict kind of revolves uh, or comes from a source that is the same as the theme of the film, you're going to get a really good film. Now, the fact that it, the conflict results in all this horrifying stuff is almost an afterthought. Um, like, it doesn't have to be as horrifying to be as good of a movie, but it, it is because it's it's a good genre film, and it delivers on uh, the premise of the film. Um, it If you, you go into this movie signing up for horror, and it gives you that.
1: Uh, you mentioned... Um talking about how like you see these characters as like uh two polar opposites and i i think that's absolutely interesting but i also think looking at the characters um i i just and and that's something i i always like to look at is characters and really like who they are what their motivations are because sometimes things get a lot more complicated than, um, you know, they they appear to be, and I think audition is definitely one of those films, um, because when you when you really sit down, you look at the characters, and honestly, it doesn't take that much to like see it, because you know you kind of think it when you're watching the movie too. But I mean, our our, our protagonist basically lies to a big group of girls. Like, this movie isn't even a thing that actually exists.
2: Like, yeah, there is- <laughs> I was going to say that. He's yeah, he's, he's, he's almost as head. manipulative as she is.
1: Yeah, he's just as manip- manipulative, and he's never, like, honest and upfront about what he's doing. Um, and he... I mean, he basically tricks her into thinking that she's going to audition, And then that she's not getting the the role just because she's not good enough for the role. And then asked her out, which that in and of itself, like if you were to think about going to an audition, not getting the role, but then getting hit on by the guy who was in charge of the auditions. That's kind of a skeezy thing to do. But, you know, she she's into it, I guess. She thinks he's sweet. And then she finds out what happens. And she is just so not about it, and she's taking revenge on him. And a lot of these, um, uh, and when you look through her deaths, like, like, like the kills that she's made, she never kills someone just to kill someone. It's always because she feels that she's been hurt by men. Like, um,
2: well, yeah, she's possessive. So, and I mean. Uh, and
1: just, like, it doesn't if they start a it,
2: relationship.
1: I mean, it doesn't make it okay. But I'm pretty sure the nightclub owner or the producer or whatever. Um, well, actually, the music producer isn't actually really dead, is he? Um, but the club owner, I think, cheated on her. And again, it's totally not justified you should never, you know, torture and kill someone because, you know, they cheated on you. But I mean, her, her ballet dancer uh, abused her as a kid. And, you know, she grew up to be just like a really sick person who kills people who have caused her pain. And you kind of feel bad for her. Like, here's this person who is awful and does really awful things, but not really because she wants to, but because she's been twisted into this and you feel better.
0: You're getting into M territory now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, but that's, that's the key of, that's a key of a good movie monster, any good movie antagonist. But, you know, specifically this week we're talking horror, we're talking we're talking about movie monsters, really, um, but that's the key of a good antagonist, a good movie monster, is um, making them not just pure, unceasing evil, but in some way, shape, or form, sympathetic or at least understandable, so that you feel bad for them. You you see why they have to be opposed. Like you totally get why. Um, what they're doing is wrong, why they're why they're bad, why they shouldn't be doing what they do. Um, but at the same time, you you feel bad for them at the same time that you you kind of want to hate them. And it's that con- conflicting uh, feeling that makes them so interesting. Um, like, just think about, and throwing it back to the West for the moment, think about um, Boris Karloff's Frankenstein from like 1931, 32, 33, something like that. Um you know, that is Frankenstein's a really sympathetic creature, um, really sympathetic monster. Sorry, Frankenstein's monster, not Frankenstein. Frankenstein is the doctor. <laughs> Frankenstein, mo- Frankenstein's monster is the monster. But I'm going to call him Frankenstein because everyone does it. So no one rip my head off um, or do it anyway. See if I care. Um, but he's I mean, you know, same thing with Frankenstein. He uh, he was made. He didn't you know will himself into existence and he just is is made as um kind of a flawed being that is struggling to exist and can't seem to exist and seems to destroy everything he touches and is hunted and killed for it um and like i'm not saying frankenstein should be allowed into society um but you know it's you also feel bad for him at the same time and that's it's kind of like the classic you know monster movie uh mix of uh despicable and sympathetic
2: well i'll say that that's not an exact comparison because frankenstein does not you know actively go out and murder people um i believe in the book he accidentally killed a girl because he didn't realize his own strength but like he wasn't a maniacal uh homicidal monster whereas uh asami in audition definitely is there's much more um uh responsibility placed on her because these are intentional
0: actions regardless of what her motivations are oh yeah no it's you're you're totally right it's a much more extreme example um
1: Maybe maybe a better comparison and forgive me if I'm butchering the origins of this story but would be like Jason who is disfigured from birth and I mean through no fault of his own but is obviously picked on and kind of cast aside and then the one woman who was who, like, cared for him, his mother, is now dead. And so he turns into a killing machine and just kills people. I mean, it's not an exact thing, but, I mean, you can kind of feel a little bit bad for him because it's not like he ever wanted to turn out that way. He was kind of twisted into that. And, again, not okay to kill someone. But, I mean, yeah, that's, that's what makes a good monster for a horror film that's why they're such good characters
2: yeah i definitely think you're you're right about that that you know as we've been saying the whole being able to understand the motivations um but on the flip side sometimes you don't really understand the motivations and you just have to kind of accept the rules that the uh film has set for you uh as in the case of jubon the grudge from 2002 um, and I would probably need some help from our horror expert uh, when I get to the end of this film. But basically, what happens is there's a house. Um, again, this is in Japan. And a murder has happened here. A husband has killed his wife and young son and also their cat. That is a little bit important. Um, Rip cat. And, th- and then <laughs> kills himself, I believe. Um and either that was caused by or was the uh, origin of this curse that is now on this house um, and the ghosts of all three of them and other people who end up dying in the house um, are haunting this house. And the people who come into uh, contact with this house uh, in some form or fashion get haunted by these ghosts and hunted and killed in various ways and, um, ways that, uh, you know, don't, I, I'm really confused about some of the rules of the way that the ghosts kill can kill people or who gets killed by them and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but the, again, this film goes into that, that whole thing of revealing information and revealing pieces of the chronology to the audience because, uh, this film is set up very much in the, the form of other movies we've watched like uh, Amores Peros and stuff like that where you start with a character's name as a title card and then you see their story. So we start with uh, so-and-so and then we see how their um, their story of uh, interaction with the house to being killed by the, the ghosts from the house, the spirits in the house, um, and then the next character and stuff like that. But the characters that we're seeing are not actually the order that they were killed by the house. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so we're seeing one and we have to figure out, OK, did this happen before or after the one that we just watched? And how does it all tie together? Um, and again, like I said, there's a bunch of different things that happened um, because of this curse that make can make it a little confusing. Um, sometimes, or at least did for me on the first watching that I had this week. Uh, so things like. You can kind of see through time. There were a couple times when a character would look through a doorway or something and see a character who was in a different uh, a different time in that house. Um, And then obviously the the ghosts that are haunting it and when the ghosts are there and how they appear. uh, Sometimes they appear like as being dead. Sometimes they appear looking more alive. Sometimes they're just shadows, and um, sometimes they haunt people just for going to the house. Sometimes people who live in the house don't get killed by them. It's all uh, a big mess. <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a curse, and uh, I guess there's no rules when it comes to curses.
0: It's not just a curse, Jonathan. It's a grudge. It's a grudge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true.
1: Well, no, in, 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 the, in the title cards, it talks about specifically... Um, a vengeful spirit basically being born of some kind of horrible atrocity involving a grudge and and that's what lingers is the grudge um and i think something that might help kind of clear up a little bit of the confusion um cuz i mean i read through your notes and i think one of the things that you mentioned was that old people can see the spirit, but they're not getting killed by it. Um, I think there's actually two spirits there. There's the little boy, and then right. there's the mother. Right. And the mother is the spirit that's doing the killing, and the son's kind of there. Um, and I mean, hangs, he's really he's really important to the story, but. He's more of just there. Um, he, he, he's he's but not yet, the one we doing the But you also see the, the ghost
2: of the, th- of the three friends, the girls.
1: Yes, yeah. So um, is
2: anyone who's killed there turned into a ghost?
1: I think... Yes.
0: Because <laughs> by the end, it kind of made it seem like they were going to swarm over the globe eventually, like zombie ghosts.
2: Yeah, well... because... Another thing that happens is before before the grudge um, uh, attacks someone, it just leaves a mess, which is kind of it seems kind of quaint and uh, trite. But there's there's like someone picking up a big mess and then this ghost kind of happens. And near the end of the film, we see several shots of streets and wide um, shots of the city that are empty. And there's just like litter everywhere, which is like the same thing that happens uh, every time we, we run into this force.
1: I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll The Grouch is a really weird movie to think about because the, they do time manipulation in a really, I mean, it's constant. Um,
2: yeah, there's really, really sure. no good point of reference to hang everything on.
1: You're never really sure exactly where you're at. Um, but I, I, I think when you sit down and you watch it, at least... A couple of times, you, you start to be able to piece it together a little bit more, and the and the flow of the story. Um, and I, I know you mentioned the uh, there there are parts where people like look through doorways, and they see a uh, like different times. And I think that's one of the things that's actually really cool about this movie, because there's that officer, the retired detective. Who comes mm-hmm. to the house? Who
2: was on the original case?
1: He was on the original case. That, and, and I think, I think it was the, I, I think that case was the birthplace of the curse. I don't think. Right. I mean, it's totally possible, but that's obviously our our starting point for, you know, the curse. And he goes back to the house to set it on fire, thinking that he's going to be done with it. And when he comes down the stairs, he sees a vision of his daughter in the future with her friends in the house. And his daughter's friends are getting killed. And those are the ones who come back later on and haunt the daughter and don't actually kill her, actually. Um, the, yeah, that's the, the other thing. Sometimes kills her.
2: Sometimes they will die, sometimes
0: they won't. And I'm also not entirely sure how the ghosts kill people. Um, I'm not sure it matters. Um, but I don't know, strangling. They
2: open vortexes sometimes, they're just like suck them into like a bed or a or a cupboard
0: or something. Yeah, you always see them get dragged somewhere and then they die and you you don't really know how. Um, also the ghosts seem to have physical form, again, kind of like a zombie. Um, and Emily is there I don't know if We didn't. I didn't look into this specifically I probably should have um, so my bad but you might know something about this is there just something different about how ghosts are considered um, in Japan than in the west because in the west we think of ghosts as kind of these transparent translucent floating people who um, kind of look like they did in life or right at, when they died um, and kind of float around and can haunt or um, scare people.
1: I don't want to like claim to know everything about it because I definitely don't, and I'll admit it's not something that I've looked to looked into. Um, but from what I have seen in terms of films involving ghosts in um Asian horror, it, the ghosts tend to be tangible sometimes, not not all the time. But sometimes and I'm not sure why exactly it could have some really deep historical and cultural ties that I'm just not aware of. But it's definitely a trend that I've seen. Oh, for example, there's a film called I believe it's Deep Blue. And it's a really creepy film and I really suggest that you watch it. It involves an apartment that's being haunted by a ghost and it's a single mom and her daughter living there who are being haunted. So there's one point where they're trying to get away and the mom grabs her daughter and runs to the elevator to get out and when she gets in the elevator she realizes that it's not her daughter, it's the ghost that she's holding. And it's definitely a moment where the ghost is tangible because the mother held onto her hand and dragged her with her. But, I mean, definitely, I, I can't say for sure that there's some, you know, cultural view that ghosts are more tangible.
2: Yeah, because the other thing is that the, the mother will sometimes appear as, like, a, a shadow or a mist, and that is more of our kind of traditional view of yeah. ghost. But then... So there's there's both that element and then there's the physical element and then there's the element where any of the ghosts can turn into a
0: cat. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> or they can be a cat.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like it's almost like the the ghosts are connected in a weird way. I mean, they do keep turning up in the same um the same place, almost like they have some weird hive mind. But yeah, they do seem to be connected and able to take uh, each other's forms and sometimes turn into a room full of cats.
1: <laughs> you know, so something interesting and, the, and this might be getting into the theorizing aspect of looking at film, but um, I, I mean, I, I think something that could also be possible is there's the main spirit that is the grunge, but as it claims more lives, it can take on the forms of those people as well. So when the sun shows up, like it's still part of that spirit, but it's just, oh,
2: yeah, it's like all manifestations of the on. It just kind of yeah. shows up in different forms. It's,
1: the, hmm. it's, it's all, it, it's the people who have been claimed by it and the cats, I guess. Um,
2: <laughs> the cat was claimed by it.
1: The cat was claimed by it. So, and I think looking back at uh, the origins of it, that would kind of make sense because the 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 husband killed his wife because he found out that she had fallen in love with someone else. And so well, he,
2: claims, he claims he claims that he she cheated on him, she but she we don't know that there's no we don't know real for evidence.
1: Sure. But that sounds like the kind of thing that you'd have a, a, a grudge over. Um, Yeah. And so that's that's why he killed her and the son, because obviously he might not be his. I don't know why he killed the cat, but he killed the cat.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, if you're already killing people,
1: you might as well get the cat. Um,
2: Okay, I do have a question for you, Emily, um, just to see what your take on this is, as far as having already uh, taken some other looks into this movie. What is the deal with holding your fingers in front of your face?
0: Uh, So. Is it just a good visual?
2: So just to clarify, in the film, at the end, um, the mother is crawling down the stairs in the really famous scene um, at one of the characters from the story. And then the character from the story walks past the window and she sees... In, her, in the reflection it's not her, it is the ghost. And then whenever she holds her fingers in front of her face, the thing starts coming towards her. But also when she holds her fingers in front of her face, uh, the thing looks nicer. Like it's it's not all bloody and, and creepy. It's still blue and ghostly, but more, uh, I don't know, cleaned up, I guess. And then we go through these flashbacks of all the times the ghost has interacted with her and she's not very scary And then we cut back and she puts her hands down from her face and then she's all bloody and uh, kills her, I think. So I I wasn't sure if putting your fingers in front of your face was a good thing or if it was not a good thing.
1: Um, I don't think it's a good thing or a bad thing either way. So definitely there's a couple of different ways that we end up seeing the ghost. And this is just my take on it. Um... There's, like, the really creepy, bloody version. There's kind of the shady version. And then there's the version that we see at the end, which is something more similar to, like, how we see the little boy ghost. Um, and I feel like... I, I, I don't think the looking through the fingers, again, is good or bad. I feel like she was going to die either way. I, I think it's just, I, I don't know. It might've just affected the version of the spirit that she saw. So, I mean, long story short, I really just have no clue why. But I, <laughs> okay. So
0: here's, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Um, because if you recall the warning that we put on this, uh, film, when we introduced all three of the films, we talked about, um, don't hide under the covers while watching this movie, and that's because there's a point in the film where one of our characters is hiding under the covers, thinking she's getting away from the ghost, and she she peeks under the covers, um, and there's the ghost literally laying on top of her underneath the covers. Um, and then sucks her through a vortex and, in the bed. Yeah, and does whatever to kill her. Um, but, you know, looking... So looking through your fingers at the ghost and hiding under the covers are both two ways that people commonly try to hide from horror movies while watching horror movies. Whether it be pulling a blanket up over your face or uh, peeking between your fingers or if it's um, me in, like, ninth grade uh, holding pizza up in front of my face while watching The Ring. (laughs)
1: Um, Thinking that it's going to save you.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, But it doesn't save anybody. It doesn't save anybody. So I think that's almost like a meta thing that was put inside the film that um, reaches outside of the film in, and uh, to scare you because it says it's supposed to make the audience really uncomfortable because hiding through your fingers won't work and um, hiding under the covers won't work either. You're screwed no matter what the grudge is going to get you because apparently it's unstoppable and it will kill everybody on the face of the planet. <laughs> Which yeah, is kind I of what kind I'm of left that. with at the end of the film. And I don't know if that's a strength or a weakness of the grudge. But I'm kind of like, well, if there's no chance of stopping it, if there's no chance of escaping it, then is it interesting? Because in the ring, in the ring, there's an out. There's, there's a way to save yourself. Um, spoilers on the ring, I guess. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but there is a way to save yourself. In the grudge, I don't think there is. I don't think anybody really gets away.
1: Um, okay, well, real quick, I actually pulled up the end scene. What's interesting about this scene is it kind of, it, it has a little flashback sequence where it, it shows a series of times where we have seen people seeing the ghost. There's, there's the old woman from the beginning who dies, there's the older man at the hospital who we don't actually know if he dies. He could have yeah, very the well died. the
2: old woman, the old woman from the house doesn't die from the gr- from the grudge, does she? She just dies of old age. No, she does. She was really. No, she dies oh, from the grudge. Does she? Okay.
1: Yeah, there's there's a there's a scene where uh, Rika, the main character, the the common thread between all these really weird um, snippets of the story that we get um is is there taking care of her and she actually sees the woman getting killed by uh the yeah. spirit. um That's right. and all of the characters were showing they they had their they, they had their fingers up to their face all in the same exact way which is how rika ends up putting her um her uh her hands up and looking at herself in the mirror and that's when her reflection changes uh to being that of the ghost and she's definitely not an all bloody and icky ghost but i don't i think that's kind of interesting i feel like there's definitely some kind of a significance behind it i just oh for the life of me i don't know what it is
2: Yeah, it's really. I think at the
0: end of the day, we kind of just have to sit back and say it was scary and it worked. And that makes a horror film when it works. So good. But, you know, maybe there isn't a deeper meaning or a deeper answer. And maybe it's just meant to be open ended and you can sit around and debate with your friends whether or not the grudge takes over the whole world or not. Um, I think it does. But. It would be really interesting
2: if it did. And the other thing we should mention is that this is part of a, basically a franchise of films, of Juan films, uh, that this is not the first of and it's not the last of. And then uh, eventually it was remade in the US with the same director, actually, who made three more uh, grudge films, uh, which had much worse ratings. Um, But the fact that you know, the grudge is something that you've heard of more than most of the other ones in the Juan franchise means that this film stuck with people for whatever reason. Um, there are those very unique elements that, you know, probably haven't been seen as much up to 2002 and I'm no expert in the horror genre. So I know there are a lot of tropes. I don't know when they necessarily came about because nowadays it just seems like everything is kind of similar, but, um, in 2002, this film definitely made an impression. So I assume that there, there are a lot of these things that we're talking about that even if people couldn't put their finger on it, they knew that it was unique and, and brought something different to the table. Mm-hmm.
0: OK, so now on to our final film of the episode. Emily, do you want to talk about A Tale of Two Sisters? Uh, set that one up for us. What it is all about?
1: Oh, Lord knows I want to talk about that one. Um, so Tale of Two Sisters is a Korean horror film. And it's about a it, it's a really interesting kind of psychological weird horror film that's about a girl, Su Mi, and her sister, Su Yan, I think. I've definitely said that wrong. Yes,
0: yes, no, no, that's, that's, I mean, it's accurate enough for our purposes. You're good.
1: (laughs) Um, I'll be referring to her as the sister from now on. (laughs) Um, And their, and their time at their family, their father's estate, like, like out in the countryside. Um,
2: And this one, real quick, this one is actually quite interesting and very spoiler heavy, so... Uh, really if you want to see this one go find it it's very good and then uh, return in a couple moments as we finish the recap and lots of spoilers
1: there's gonna be a huge spoiler drop (laughs) in a little bit that will i won't ruin watching the movie for you but i'll definitely take some of the impact the
2: first time viewing experience yeah yeah it'll
0: soften the mind bend
1: uh (laughs) yeah um but this film is really cool and it starts off with us seeing sue Mi uh in a psychiatric hospital a mental institution basically getting evaluated by a doctor um who is asking her about like why she's there like what's going on and then we kind of just well yeah
2: he asked her to to re re retell something like tell me what happened uh just yeah from your perspective
1: yeah and then we and then we launch into like the real the like like the the majority of the story and it's and we see sumi arriving at her father's house out in the countryside with her sister and she's welcomed um It's great, lovely. And then it turns out that their stepmother is there, who actually um, worked with the family as their sick mother's in home nurse before she died. Uh, And then she ended up marrying the father because, you know, logic. Fairy
2: tale.
1: (laughs) Fairy tale. Just had to wait for the sick mom to be out of the way and it's it's very clear from the beginning that Sumi doesn't and and her sister do not get along with the stepmother. And it's very clear
2: Fairy that tale. Really,
1: yeah, it's very clear that not only do they not get along, but ah uh, the the sister is scared of the stepmother, basically. and as, as the movie progresses, we see a lot of situations where, um, the sister is being abused by the stepmother, being sent to bed without dinner, being locked in a closet. Uh, I mean, a wardrobe. Sorry, it's very important that it's a wardrobe. And yeah, it is. And and, and we see, uh, Sumi, basically the entire film, uh, fighting with the stepmother about this abuse trying to basically expose her uh, to the father. And throughout it all, there's just really creepy stuff going on. Um, The stepmother is taking medication with all of her meals. Um, The stepmother goes to bed with the father and the father gets really uncomfortable with it and leaves and goes to sleep in his office. And, God,
2: I didn't even think about that scene. Dang.
1: <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> now you do. <laughs> now, um. And yeah,
2: this one definitely merits a rewatch.
1: Oh, it definitely does. Once you kind of figure out what's going on, going back and rewatching it is a really cool experience. Um, and there's a scene where uh, the father and the stepmother have dinner with um the girl's uncle and his wife. And it's a really awkward (laughs) kind of dinner. Um the stepmother keeps making references to like stories and things that didn't happen or that no one knows about. And the uncle's wife ends up fainting and sees a
2: Seizing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Starts seizing and then later tells later says that she saw like uh, a bloody girl ghost, um, underneath the, was it was was it underneath the sink? I think it was under. It was
2: under the sink, yeah. But all, all she really says is, "There was a girl under the sink after the yeah. scene happens, and then we cut back in a jump scare to this, and it didn't even really look bloody. It looked just burnt, like a, like it yeah, had been on fire." Getting, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, And then the stepmother goes back later to investigate it, and she kind of gets grabbed at by a hand from underneath the sink, and and just lots of creepy stuff. And it all ends up leading up to when uh, the stepmother finds one of her pet birds is dead. And she accuses um, Sumi's sister of having killed it. And she goes to Sumi to the sister's room and finds the other dead bird and locks her in a closet in the (laughs) wardrobe. In the (laughs) (laughs) wardrobe. And it's just, it's a really heartbreaking, like, it's a really, like, just really sad scene to, like, watch because... I mean, the girl is just terrified, and it's forever. It feels like forever um, before Sue eventually finds her and lets her out, and um, like apologizes for not being there sooner. And then there's a and
2: really for not hearing for not hearing her for bang not hearing on her. the yeah that's important too.
1: That is extremely important. <laughs> And it leads up to a, a big confrontation where the dad comes into the attic where the girls, uh, Sumi and her sister, are. And, they're, and she, of course, Sumi is comforting her sister. That's pretty much all she does throughout the movie. And
2: Well, the first half, yeah.
1: For the first half, yes. And Sumi basically says, Hey, Dad, our stepmom is abusing my sister. And, you know, what are you going to do about it? And then we're hit with a huge bombshell, and the the dad tells her, What on earth are you talking about? Your sister's dead. And it turns out that her sister has been dead for a really long time. Uh, So then... I see dead people. <laughs> basically. So, what, I thought about what that a twist? lot this week. Oh yeah. Um and then for the for the rest of the film it's just this well, for part of the rest of the film, it's just really weird interactions between her and the dad. And then the dad leaves to um basically Get Sumi admitted into a hospital, uh, although it's readmitted into the mental institution because she had yeah, just come from there at the beginning of the movie.
2: Can I just say that if if your daughter is having you know uh, multiple personality disorder and uh, after her sister has died, you should probably not leave her alone in the house uh, for an extended period of time or any period of time for that matter. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, constant supervision is the key word.
1: <laughs> constant supervision, very important. And definitely necessary in this next part. Because when the father leaves, um, we get... And and this is probably one of the most incredible like sequences in the film, in my opinion. But um, Sumi is uh, looking for her sister and the stepmother... And she finds a trail of blood, and you get some shots of the stepmother dragging like a a, a bag with what you assume to be is the sister um, down the hallway. And Sumi follows. She beats it. This trail. She beats it too. Yeah, and Sumi follows this trail into her dad's. I guess it's his office it's it's like a medical room basically and um when she gets into this room she finds the wardrobe which is really weird because the wardrobe was originally upstairs in her sister's bedroom so there's some really weird stuff going on with that but uh, she goes to open it and she takes out the bag and she's convinced that it's her sister and she's trying to open it and then the stepmother shows up and this really epic fight kind of ensues and they're fighting each other and Sumi gets really beat up and the stepmother gets really beat up and the stepmother ends up knocking her out with a little statue, um, basically. And the father comes home but he comes home with the actual stepmother. And you kind of find oh. the, Yeah, you kind of find out that this entire time throughout this entire movie the the stepmother and the and Sumi and the sister are all just kind of the same thing. And this fight where they're Su-Me all sue me,
2: tortured. yeah. To be specific, they're all <laughs>
1: sue me, and she was just so unable to cope with the thought of her sister's death that she basically developed these personalities and was seen, specifically, the personality that was her stepmother, as being incredibly abusive towards um, uh, her sister and. All of this goes on, and uh, she gets readmitted to the mental institution. And the very last part of the film is a flashback to how her sister died, and it's really sad, actually. And for me, at least, it made me hate Sumi a little bit. Um. Because what what you see happen is um, the sister basically discovers the body of their sick mother in the wardrobe. Uh, She's killed herself in the wardrobe. Which honestly kind of seems like an impressive feat to me because I'm not sure...
2: (laughs) Yeah, she hangs herself in the wardrobe. She hangs of all herself things.
1: in the wardrobe, which just I'm honestly it doesn't make sense to me, but it happened. Um, and her sister um obviously freaks out and is trying to revive her mother. And in the process, she ends up tipping the wardrobe back onto herself, and it falls on her, and it slowly crashes her to death uh, but before she dies the stepmother who at the time is still just the you know live-in nurse for the mother uh, discovers her trapped underneath the wardrobe and at first walks away and is a little like uh not my problem but then she decides to go back and help but before she can get there, she runs into Sumi. They have a little spat, and the stepmother ends up just walking away and actually says to Sumi, you'll regret saying this to me later. And um, Which
2: we had heard her say earlier in the film.
1: Yeah. And uh, Sumi... Of course upset just leaves and goes outside to get into the car to leave. And meanwhile, her sister is just left trapped underneath the wardrobe with the body of their dead mother getting crushed to death.
0: That's a bad way to go.
1: It's an awful way to go. Like not only are you slowly, your dead mother is right on top of you. Um, and it just kind of ends. With, what I think is a really cool moment, um, I mean, and obviously it's sad because she died, but it's this really interesting moment where um, uh, the stepmother is standing out on the balcony of the house, just staring out at Sumi as she's getting into the car. They have like this moment where they look at each other and then the movie ends. Um...
2: On a 400 blows style and freeze frame.
1: So, so I, I personally thought it was a really incredible movie, and I think it was really cool because basically the f- first, mo- pretty much the entire film is like all a lie. <laughs> it, it, it's all just a hallucination, basic. Not even a hallucination, but it's just this really weird, twisted. Reality that is being experienced by Sumi.
2: Yeah, and it's also a combination of the slow burn from audition and uh, the crazy time uh, warp of the grudge, where, you know, f- for the first part of the film, when really what's happening is Sumi is going around the house and living uh, in this environment with these two. Other personalities that she has invented uh just because of her own guilt. Um and it's all very odd, and we know we don't know exactly why it's odd, but there's these way weird these there are these strange ways that people are interacting and um talking and stuff like that that by the end is all actually explained. (laughs) Um whereas in the grudge, you're just kind of left to fend for yourself and try and figure it out but they actually kind of wrap it up in a tale of two sisters um and uh yeah and so it, it gives you more depth into the character of sumi where you can see how um you know her own guilt of not hearing her sister who's in the next room over uh being crushed under the wardrobe and also her enmity towards her stepmother who she realizes, did know what was happening and just let it happen, have all kind of culminated in this one shock moment that uh, kind of fractured her psyche. Um, And then, but only getting that at the very end and then thinking about all of those other things that you saw in the film and being like, oh my gosh, okay, I kind of get it now. Except for a couple things. There were actually a couple things that I don't know how they mm-hmm. fit in, and it probably just uh, requires another watching. But for example, the body under the sink—I uh, don't totally understand.
1: Yeah. Um. Oh, I'll, I'll be absolutely, perfectly honest. I'm not sure. Um. I, I mean, I feel like. It's entirely possible that the girl under the sink could be the mother. It could be the sister who died. It could be just a byproduct of the aunt or or the the uncle's, well, I guess aunt because it's the uncle's wife, um, you know, seizing, um, But I I tend to lean more towards it being either the mother or the sister who died. Um,
2: Because my other question is about that whole dinner scene in general, because obviously the hmm. seizing and the flopping is kind of mirrored in the way that uh, Suyun's hand kind of flops under the wardrobe. But... That that scene of them driving away when the wife says there was a girl under the sink is the only time I believe that we as an audience are separated from Sumi from her perspective. Yeah. So I don't know if that's like... I, a real thing that happened, if that's part of Sumi's imagination, because after you finish, you you kind of have to go back and think about what actually happened and what didn't happen. And I know that there was part of the flashback that showed that dinner scene. And I, I don't, uh, I don't understand. I don't totally know how it all fits. And again, this probably just, uh, needs another viewing, but that, that was the one thing that didn't fall into place with me <laughs> at the end was that dinner scene and the, the girl yeah. under the sink.
1: Um, I do think it's possible, um, and this is something that I've thought about before, Uh, I think it's possible that the sister, at some points in time, or even the entire time, is actually a spirit, as opposed to another personality, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I don't rule out the supernatural
1: yeah i i I mean I wouldn't rule the supernatural at all because you um uh toward toward the end you see the real stepmother like not not the personality stepmother but the actual stepmother um go up to the room where the wardrobe is, and the lights go out, and a figure, which I believe is actually the same bloody kind of figure that was underneath the sink or uh, um, comes out and actually attacks the stepmother. And it's kind of assumed that she's killed, but we never actually really see it happen. So we don't know for sure. Um, so I think that there is something supernatural involved. And I tend to lean toward thinking that the sister is a ghost at some points because during that scene where we find out about um her being dead, I, I think she she like lets out this like scream and it's just like kind of weird. Um, and it feels like something more supernatural as opposed to another personality um. Yeah,
2: it's just interesting that so much of the film kind of relies on the psychological element and kind of explaining most of it through the psychological side that, you know, it's if there is that supernatural element, then it's so underplayed that yeah. it's hard to grasp. It's hard to th- differentiate the two, the the psychological and the supernatural, if that's part of it.
1: And honestly, I don't think we ever really see the dad the father interacts with the sister i mean we see him interact with sumi we see him interact with um sumi as the stepmother but we never really see him interact with the sister so so that's kind of why i think i mean i feel like that just kind of lends itself more to um explaining the sister as a spirit that's like stuck with her sister as that's stuck with sumi as opposed to being just another personality which again makes it really confusing (laughs) because because it's playing on two really it's playing on the supernatural and the psychological as two different playing grounds but i i don't know it's just I I, I tend to lean that
2: way in my thinking. Yeah, it definitely takes some unpacking.
1: Oh, it does. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I kind of don't mind that there's a question left at the end of the film. Um, Yeah. I like that it doesn't make uh, complete sense at the end. It's not wrapped up in a nice, uh, neat little bow. Um, You're left with that unsettled feeling after the movie ends, which which makes it a really good horror film because it leaves you with that unsettled horror feel after you've already watched it. Yeah. Um, But we should also
2: mention, like, as far as directorial choices, um, just getting aside from the story for a second, that this is probably the best in terms of production design. We didn't talk too much about the the grudge, but that felt very indie. And Audition was very good, but if Tale of Two Sisters is, is... by far the most stylized I think um and we saw in the good the bad the weird like how good um ji Moon Kim is at using his colors and his camera and stuff like that and in that environment it was very um you know action and fast-paced and stuff like that and in this film he he takes the same uh level of skill to um slow it down and make it much more uh building a sense of dread. So we're seeing very well composed shots, but very slowly pushing in and very um, beautifully crafting compositions and using the art direction of the house and the different colors of wallpaper and um, set pieces to um, just add to all of these senses uh, that we've been talking about.
0: Yeah. And that goes into a couple different ideas that um, I think we've mentioned before in previous episodes, but in the context of horror, um, the idea that slowness can be just as terrifying as um, a quick scare, a jump scare, the much derided jump scare, um, or fast, overdone uh, gore, um, which is sometimes people's things. But uh, and this film kind of uses but, all of those elements, but in does. small doses. It does and that small dose can be sometimes less is more sometimes spreading it out over a long shot a long creeping angle a long look can be just as terrifying as a quick jump um and another thing that we've talked about several times before in the podcast is uh tempo and the idea that you can make long scenes feel longer and short quick scenes feel quicker by uh, putting them next to a scene, by putting them next to each other, essentially. So putting a that long scene next to a short scene makes the long scene feel longer and the short scene feel shorter, um, which can be really important when you're trying to make really long, creepy, slow slow scenes alongside really fast, shocking scenes, um, which is pretty much the key. Those are the two big elements of horror, long, slow creep and big shock. So being able to combine and make those tempos function um properly in a movie is uh something that isn't it isn't cut and dry it 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 changes based on each movie as to what really works there's no one set way to make it work and uh in a tale of two sisters we see it work really well
2: yeah and another element to um you know horror films that's kind of you know, can go either way, depending on who is making the film is twist endings. Um, and this is not particularly a new kind of twist ending. Um, and it's not necessarily done. (laughs) It's not necessarily done in a new way, but it's just done really well. This is a director who knows what he's doing and he knows how to, uh, build the suspense and, uh, and build, um, you know, expectations to a point and then twist it around. And, uh, it, everything in the movie gels really well. And the fact that the characters are very compelling and the story is very compelling makes all of these things that we've seen in some form or another still work in this movie. Okay. But as long as we're talking about kind of universal elements of horror films, let's talk about the, um, I guess subgenres, the different types of horror, uh, and we're transitioning into overall notes here. So we have this week, uh, which was picked by Emily, and these actually showcase horror as a whole very well, um, and not just Eastern horror. This applies to all horror. There are different kinds of horror movies, and three of those categories uh, I guess you could call gore, um, the very uh, bloody, like the the shock value comes from uh, different excruciating things happening to the human body, the supernatural, obviously kind of mystical or um, supernatural elements that are thrown in that we can't explain. And so it, it's scary for that reason. And the psychological things that happen inside a person's head um, that, uh, you know, the more you can get into a an unusual psychological state, the more you can frighten uh, us in a normal psychological state because we don't want to get there ever. But the possibility is frightening. Uh, and so we've kind of hit all three of those this week. And it's really interesting to look at the different ways that those can be pulled off. And obviously, these are just three kind of very specific ways, because under all three of those subgenres, there are a million different ways to Uh, approach it and to develop a story
1: i mean yeah and and i think that what's really interesting is that the the one really common thing between all horror films is that they're supposed to unsettle us in some way but definitely the ways that they go about doing it is different like when you watch a gore film Depending on the type of film that it is, um, for example, I, I mean, audition. Um, yes, there's gore in it, but I don't. There's not really a lot of jump scares or anything like that that you might see in a slasher kind of film like yeah. Jason. Um, so, so, and so I will say, audition,
2: film, audition <laughs> kind of transcends just the you know. The saw esque um, type of gore, where yeah. that's the only draw to it, audition kind of uh, um, rises above that, but it doesn't get out of that because of the scenes that are those kind of torturous scenes. Yeah, kind of keep it, it firmly in that category.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I mean, and I mean that gore, like it, it unsettles us by making us feel sick. Like, like, when you see the needles go into the body, you feel sick. And that's what unsettles you. And that's what freaks you out. Um, but when, as opposed to when you watch, like, a psychological film, like A Tale of Two Sisters, there's obviously going to be things like jump scares. Because it wants to mess with your mind. Um, you know, so so you get things like that, that or, or, or little things that make you freak out like oh my gosh is she hallucinating this stuff is there really someone under the sink or is there just going to be you know nothing there and then she reaches down and a hand shoots out and it freaks you Yeah
2: out. I think the I think the psychological uh relies a lot on the the small unsettling things like the first part of audition definitely falls in psychological as well that that movie is kind of split um, yeah. but yeah, it's the, it's the little things that make you feel like the, what is being presented to you as reality is really not, uh, and trying to figure out what that is. And supernatural, I think has, uh, a tendency to rely more on the jump scares.
1: Yeah. And I feel like part of that is part, part of what freaks you out about that is that there's a being that can't really be destroyed that has this like crazy amount of power Over like who lives and dies, and 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 that's really freaky. And I mean, that's why to me at least, supernatural films that deal with like ghosts and stuff are so creepy. Um,
2: Yeah, and the thing with uh, a Tale of Two Sisters is that before we understand the uh, psychological element, we assume that what we're being shown is real. So we assume that it's a supernatural film until it is explained to be psychological and how much of that falls in what category can be debated, but only after we realize that a good chunk of it is, uh, only psychological. So a lot of the things is just, uh, fears in Sumi's head and not an actual, uh, supernatural event.
0: Yeah. Because, uh, a large part of what makes, uh, a, a horror movie and essentially at the core of each horror movie is a mystery movie. Um, Yeah, I thought about that a lot this week, too, is is hiding information from the audience and hiding it from the characters and revealing it in certain orders so that at certain times the audience is on the same page as the characters. They can be ahead of the characters and they can be behind the characters. And each one of those creates a different effect. And it's the question of where uh, you want them to be that creates uh, a certain amount of tension in scenes. So we are so like at the start of A Tale of Two Sisters, we are um, both we're with Sumi, but we're also behind the father because the father knows what's going on. Um, but but we are we are with Sumi, and then unless we were paying attention film-
2: during that really quick scene of the. Uh- the mental hospital, we could probably start to figure it out a lot sooner if we were (laughs) we were really paying attention. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I
1: mean there's little hints here and there like why would the stepmother be taking serious medication? You know? But
2: Yeah, that did bother me for a while. Yeah.
1: But but the point is is that we're we're behind. So when we get to the big fight scene and the aftermath and we find out that this has all been her experiencing different personalities and taking things out on herself actually like inflicting these wounds on herself suddenly it's like oh my god this is intense this is not what i thought it was and that's terrifying
2: yeah for sure and uh um an- another part of that is is the pace at which you reveal that information so if you can set up these slow build moments where we know like you were talking about Alex this is a mystery so there's a question that we have and if you can set us up to a point where we know we're about to get an answer to one of those questions it may produce more questions but at least we're going to get an answer and as long as you can draw out that reveal um the more time the audience has to anticipate it because if if we suspect that the answer is not going to be pleasant then The longer it takes to get that answer, the more our mind has to play with it and to try and imagine something which may be more terrifying than what we actually get. But it has brought us to a point of um, emotional tension that any release is going to uh, frighten us. And so that's how you can build certain jump scare moments as long as you don't overuse them to the point that we just don't even care anymore. But if if you could do it right, it's a really effective uh, technique.
0: Yeah, and that dread is really the meat of the film that that slow tension, the slow feeling of horror, of suspense, a feeling that you're not safe, you're not, you're unsettled, is the core of a horror film. Because um, if you just had a horror film that was twenty four seven shock, like just shock, 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 um, you either wouldn't be able to take it. Or it would just be really boring after like the fifth one, um, so you you need that long slow period to to wallow in and experience and feel the tension. So like you were saying, the the shock value pays off, and also um, you know it getting a bit deeper here, maybe approaching some kind of weird psychology. Um, but a big fear is the fear of the unknown, and we've talked uh, before in the podcast about how the unseen is almost always. Um, scarier than the scene um except maybe in the host um which goes for the opposite direction but you know a large part of horror films and what we've been talking about with like hiding information and revealing it in a certain way is creating obscurity and keeping everything obscured and revealing it at just the right moment and that goes beyond information to characters um, like, if, if you look at the first act of A Tale of Two Sisters, um, you very rarely see uh, more than one or two characters' faces in the same frame at the same time. Um, every, and, and there's a lot of shots where you see people doing stuff without seeing their faces. Uh, and, you know, go to the grudge, the, the grudge ghosts are almost a lot scarier when you don't see them, when you're anticipating about to see them. And you just hear the... uh Uh, Which is a sound we can all do, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. I don't think it's actually a death rattle, but it works. It works for the movie. But Toshio is kind of freaky looking. (laughs) That's
1: true. Um, Yeah.
0: But yeah, but yeah, obscurity is, you know, keeping stuff obscured, putting your villain in a mask, uh, making the monster hidden in shadows like an alien, Um, making making it so that the audience wants to. rid themselves of the obscurity they want to see what's going on they want to solve the mystery but at the same time they're afraid of what the answer is going to be um and that's how that that's a really interesting dynamic to make a really interesting horror movie right there
2: yeah and you know the way that these directors of these films specifically have uh, been able to pull them off uh you know Obviously, has been very effective because they've garnered a lot of attention since. Uh, and, you know, two of the films have been remade in America. The Grudge, uh, which I mentioned, it was actually remade by the same director. I don't know the whole uh, situation with that, um, but, you know, the newer ones do not seem to have fared as well uh, in <laughs> people's opinion, um, even though it is the same director, which is kind of interesting. And then The Uninvited also has quite a uh, different rating than um, A Tale of Two Sisters. And, you know, also with A Tale of Two Sisters, uh, this director who has made such such great work in a different, so such a wide range of films, you know, even just the two that we've seen on the podcast with The Good, The Bad, The Weird and The Tale of Two Sisters, um, you know, I, I, I just constantly ask myself, why did you need to make that again? Uh, Is it just so you didn't have to read subtitles or what?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's always a question. And it's um, it's one of those things because so many horror films are made. It's a very popular um, uh, genre of film to make. Uh, It's maybe because it's cheap, maybe because a lot of people think it's easy to do like they they think it's easy to make a horror film when it really takes a lot of um artistry and a lot more than just like let's set up some jump scares and that'll be scary, right? Um but you know, as I think we saw today, it takes a, a keen instinct on when to um uh contrast uh the the normal versus the horrifying when to uh when to have a scene be slow, when to have it be fast, when do you put your jump scare? When do you reveal information? How do you define this character? How do you define that character? Um how do you uh, hide this character from the audience? Do you want them to focus on this or that or that or this? Um, which are all questions that go into all kinds of filmmaking. But is, horror is unique in that I think a lot of people just kind of think they can do it. Because it's a scary movie. I can scare people. And then they're, they're shocked that it's harder to do um, than they would assume.
2: And another draw, and especially thinking about these adaptations, is the fact that horror is a fairly uh, universal genre. And we see that even going back to the German Expressionists with uh, Nosferatu and stuff like that, how um, these films have a little bit wider reach than, say, comedy, which can be easily lost in translation, uh, and even dramas that can be lost in the different cultural nuances. But horror, you know if you get hit on something that's scary, it's usually scary to people regardless of uh, where they are and, um, you know, what background they have, like, you know, death and blood and things. These are all experiences that, you know, we know pain is bad. We know that death is scary. And so that translates very easily across cultures. Um, But, you know, finding the original source of these films, you know, as opposed to finding the one that was remade in your language is probably a better idea because, you know, as, as we all know, cause we've all played the the game telephone. Once you take something and try to just redo it in a different language, you lose something and it's really not that hard to read subtitles. So just, uh, you know, watch a tale of two sisters <laughs> instead of the uninvited. Yeah.
1: Put up with the subtitles because honestly, there's something in the originality that makes it a better experience than trying to watch a remake.
2: Absolutely. All right. And speaking of originality and also foreign films next week, we are still abroad and we are returning to India, uh, which we had a lot of fun with on the world tour and, um, we're coming back and we're going to focus on, one uh, film market in India, which some people will probably believe is the only film market, but we're going to specifically talk about Bollywood. Um, and if you want to know the differences, go back to our uh, India week from the world tour where we talked about three different film markets. So the films that we'll be looking at are, yes, we are doing it. We're going to talk about Shole from 1975, uh, perhaps the most popular and well-known Indian film of all time. Uh, and then we're going to talk about Ahsoka from 2001, talk about Shah Rukh Khan again, uh, and that film is available on Netflix. And finally, we're going to talk about Dengal from 2016, which is also also available on Netflix and has been garnering a lot of attention, even though it is very new. Uh, it has skyrocketed to one of the highest grossing Indian films of all time already. Uh, so that should be a very exciting week. Yes, Yes, it shall. But that's about all the time we have for this episode. If you have movie suggestions for us or want to reach out, I can be found on Twitter at @jssatchel And I'm
0: at Alex Gerringer.
1: And I'm at OP underscore loose.
2: And to find links
0: to things that we talked about today, you can view them on the blog at thefilmlings.com. If you like the show, let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes so other people know what we're all about.
2: We definitely appreciate it.
0: Talk to you next week.
2: All right, thanks for joining us, Emily. It was great. Yeah, thanks for thanks coming for on. Thanks
1: for having me. Bye.
2: Bye,
0: bye. Cool. Anything else on the Grudge Guys? The Grudge Guys. That sounds like a terrible boy band. <laughs> the Grudge Guys. We're the uh, Grudge Guys. Yes,
1: but one that
2: I would the pay to see. Just think black hair in front of the face and everything. That, that's all they do.